Sometimes you hit a town and you think, oh, that's pretty good. They did all right. This one has lampposts straddling the shores of the St. Lawrence River. It's called Les Escumines. Escumines? Something like that. Population just under 2,000. They say people go scuba diving in the river here, but I'm just passing through. I caught a ride in a town like this once with a flat earth bounty hunter. He'd gone to Tennessee for a wedding, or a funeral, and he was heading home. Partway through the ride, he told me Antarctica is endless. A flat earth bounty hunter must be pretty unlucky, I thought. He'll spend a lifetime chasing bounties, and they'll spend a lifetime getting away. If Antarctica is endless, they can just go on forever. He asked me if I'd ever thought about lasers. I asked what lasers had to do with a flat earth. If you shoot a laser from a certain height, he said, and stand a whole state away, you can hold a board up to the same height and hit it with the beam. So the earth has to be flat, he said. And I didn't verbally disagree. I like the thought of flat earthers road tripping to experiment on their weekends. For them, it's more than a theory. It's a hobby. A small car pulls over in this little Canadian town, but there's no bounty hunter in sight. The small car is driven by John Lurie, painter, musician, actor, and creator and star of Fishing with John and Painting with John, two of the best TV shows ever made. We set off north. So I'm 67 years old. So when I was 15, 16, 17, we hitchhiked all the time. It was normal. Locally? I mean, I hitchhiked across country and far. I didn't make it all the way across country, but I started hitchhiking across the country. I hitchhiked to the Powder Ridge Music Festival, the one the year after Woodstock that got canceled, but we hitchhiked there and hitchhiked back. Hitchhiked to Roanoke, Virginia, I was going to sit in with Cadent Heat, but then that guy, Magic Dick from Jay Giles Band, sat in instead. We used to hitchhike all the time, from Worcester to New York City. Was it normal among everybody you went to school with, or was that like you were a subculture of hitchhikers? You know, there was the kids with long hair. There was about 20 of us, you know, (laughs) the kids who hung out in the park. I guess they would have been called hippies, but we turned our noses up at hippies. We thought they were ridiculous, but... (laughs) Yeah, it was a subculture, but it was pretty common. And it was kind of your duty to pick up hitchhikers. And probably you get older and things seem more dangerous because more terrible things have happened to you in your life when you try. But it was probably dangerous. But we didn't see it like it was dangerous. It was our right to hitchhike, and you were supposed to pick people up. And when you set off to hitchhike cross-country, how did that big plan come together? Or was it just like one day you were like... I got to get out of here. I I don't remember. I mean, people were doing it. It was something that people did hitchhike across the country. I must have planned it for a couple of weeks. And then I hitchhiked. I got as far as Baltimore. I got to Baltimore at like one o'clock in the morning. And there was nobody. And there was the only thing that was open was the White Tower. And I saw this dog come out of an alley. A little dog had vomited and then it fell over and died. And then I saw a rat, my first rat, and there was nobody. And then suddenly the streets were mobbed with people, just mobbed, making a ton of noise. And 
And I said to this woman, so what's going on? She said, don't you know? The roller derby just got out. So that was <laughs> what that was. And then I hitchhiked a little further and I went to visit this woman. And then this German guy arrived there. And he was going cross country too. And he talked me into taking the Greyhound bus with him. So we took a bus from Virginia there. And then I hitchhiked back. And there was this guy who picked me up. He charged everybody 40 bucks to drive them to the East Coast from California. Another time I hitchhiked from Berkeley to L.A. I hitchhiked several times to these music things that were always canceled. You know, the year after <laughs> Woodstock, we go to these music festivals and they were always canceled. <laughs> like you'd show up and there's nothing happening. Well, you even though you probably knew the day before that it was going to be canceled, but you went anyways, because what else were you going to do? You know, <laughs> so there'd just be all these people in tents getting messed up and eating nothing but maraschino cherries, you know. <laughs> I took some version of LSD, but it wasn't LSD. And I was spent the night in this tent with these two guys from Texas. And when I came out, I had a Texas accent. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I ran into my brother who was arrived. This was a powder ridge. And I ran into my brother who was arriving and I was talking with him. He said, what? Why are you talking? And I didn't even realize that I was talking with a Texas accent, which I couldn't even imitate now. But I, <laughs> it entered my DNA because of the LSD, I guess. <laughs> then another time I almost got killed with the guy who charged us $40. And he was really unbearable. Him and his wife. And they were the kind of hippies who brushed their hair a hundred times each. They were all kind of neat. And they weren't really hippies, you know. They were like pretending Sonny to be Sonny and Cher hippies. types, kind of? I don't know. How did Sonny Bono die? Were in a skiing accident? Yeah, that seems like a brush your hair type of thing. Sonny and Cher were unique unto themselves, I think. No, <laughs> okay. just kind of like faux protesters today. Okay. or yeah. like, They weren't really living it. But so we couldn't stand them. And their van broke down. And we were all pushing. And then... And I said, fuck you. I don't want to push you because you're charging me. And now I'm, and it was like, we're all in this together, but we aren't all in this <laughs> together. So we got to this gas station and this guy was there and he was going up to Massachusetts. Where were we? We were in Tennessee. So me and this woman went with this guy who was driving up there, but he was this guy who just got back from Vietnam. I was like 16. He was 24 or something. He was crazy. I mean, he was really crazy. And he kept saying that he died in his dreams you're not supposed to die in his dreams Jesus. he would start screaming while he drove and then we got a hotel room and the woman i mean i didn't really know her i met her at the beginning of this trip but she said he was gonna kill you he's got this huge hunting knife he was gonna cut your throat when you fell asleep and so then for the rest of the next 48 hours i just didn't sleep <laughs> for the rest of the time and then we saw, we got, we were driving from Tennessee up to Massachusetts and it's starting to snow and I've got these sneakers that are falling apart, you know, and he says, throw your shoes out the window. So Jesus, <laughs> this is it, you know, like you got to kill me without my shoes on. So I did because he was so emphatic about it. And then he gave me these really nice boots that I needed for when I got to the snow. So... But it's weird, you know, I mean, it was probably as dangerous then if you were, do you hitchhike now? Not this year, obviously, but most years, yeah. You meet some In America? Fun, in America, in Europe, Asia, you meet, like, fun weirdos, but, and, yeah, some scary nuts, but I think it's probably similar now, but I think it's, like you were saying before, I think there's that whole sort of change in societal perspective, like, back when everybody did it, you weren't an anachronism when you got in the car. 
You know? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I would pick somebody up now. Was there a while I, where you would? Oh, yeah. Most of my life I would. But now I kind of not sure. But there is that weird thing about getting older and you just enough terrible things happen and you're aware of what can go wrong. So you're kind of more careful. Yeah. If I picked up somebody hitching, I would really assess them. And probably I would cycle around and turn back if I thought they were OK. But I wouldn't just pick them up. Yeah, I've seen that happen quite a bit. Like even guys who are going up a highway or something and they'll get off an exit and go back come around for you. Yeah, I would do that. But I wouldn't just pick somebody up and just saw somebody hitchhiking and pick them up. I mean, you got somebody sitting in the back you see your car, you got you have no defense against God knows what. Yeah, the crazy guy with a knife is in one case a passenger and one case a driver. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you ever get stuck anywhere while you were hitchhiking? Like just oh, middle God, of nowhere? All the, time, all the time. I mean, when I was like 16, we hitchhiked from Worcester to New York City to see Can't Heat play, and the harmonica player, Wilson, uh, Brian Wilson, I can't remember his first name, but he was great, but he had just died. And my uncle had this little apartment right next to Carnegie Hall where they were playing, so we were, afterwards we were just out in the street hanging out, and Can't Heat comes out. And I said, you know, I play the harmonica, and I'll hitchhike to wherever you are playing next to show you that I'm serious. They said, great, show up at the Spectrum. In Philadelphia. So we hitchhiked to Philadelphia and got snuck into the spectrum at like noon and hid in the basement. And then, you know, when they showed up, we went to the dressing room. I sat in with them and John Lee Hooker. And then afterwards, we had nowhere to go. So we're walking around. The police picked us up and said, this is a really dangerous neighborhood. You can't be walking around here. And they they drove us to Temple University where we slept in a lobby on couches. And then hitchhiked back, and then we got stuck some. I mean, yeah, several times I ended up sleeping on the side of the road. Also, the police would always play, you know, the state troopers would play these games with you where they would see hippies hitchhiking, and they pick you up, and they drive you to some road that's just cows and dust, yeah. and they say, yeah. you, can hitch- you can hitchhike here all you want. And then once I was with this guy who had an ounce of marijuana sticking out of his pocket, and we got arrested, and we had pills. He had pills. The cop said, what's this? So we spent the night in jail somewhere. Who knows where that was? They took our belts away so we couldn't hang ourselves. So then we tried to hang ourselves with our shoelaces. <laughs> but we used to hitchhike all the time and all kinds of stuff happened. It's funny, though, because like I've talked to a bunch of people for this show who were hitchhiking in a similar era. And none of them have talked to me about, oh, the cops would fuck with me, even though that's like, a, I think, a very common experience of hitchhiking. Yeah, they always fucked with you. <laughs> I don't know why people have like repressed that part of their memory. Because they weren't horrible. They just liked fucking with you, you know, and they pick up these kids with long hair. It was like being the fund the police sign if you had long <laughs> yeah. hair, you know. And so they pick you up and they drop you in the I mean, that was a common thing that happened many times where, you know, they pick you up on the highway and then drive you to the middle of fucking nowhere and say, you can hitchhike here all you want. It would happen over and over again. Yeah, no cars come by for the next day. No, you know, a a truck with a dead sheep would come by, and that (laughs) was about it. (laughs) So it sounds like you were going with friends sometimes and sometimes by yourself. Did you find differences between those two? Was it harder with Uh, two people for you? Not if it was a pretty girl, but no, nah, it would be you know the same, the kind of person who would pick you up if you would pick you up. Actually, I don't know why I said the pretty girl thing because that didn't really make that much of a difference. There was a bit of a subculture who and people would pick people up. It was like we're all in this together. Was it the case then too that the people who 
picked you up and talked about like as soon as you get in the car oh i used to hitchhike too because now it, it just i figured maybe it's because it's more of a nostalgia thing or something for people picking up hitchhikers i could see why it is like that now but but no it wasn't like that then i met some great people actually or two or three who you know i was 16 17 so i was impressionable but there was two or three people who had a deep effect on me in, in a good way in terms of what you wanted to do with your life or like how you wanted to be? Yeah, there was this couple who picked me up somewhere on that trip where after Baltimore I got picked up like in the morning outside of Baltimore and drove me. He said, there's these people you could stay with. And he dropped me at their place half a day away from Baltimore. They were into yoga. He played the sitar. And I said I was going to L.A. because I played the harmonica then, and I was going to go see if I could get in. And the guy said, do you want to be famous? I said, yeah, I guess so. And he was like, <laughs> and he was like, he really shamed me on that in a kind of a cool way. It was like, that's not what it's about, kid. He was about 30, you know. They were kind of for real, these people. And not so much about the fame thing, but they were the kind of people who would leave no carbon footprint. You know, they were just, they were solid. Yeah. And there was another guy who drove me from Berkeley to L.A. And right before we got to Big Sur, you know, have you ever been on that highway there? Yeah, uh, Highway 1 up the coast. Yeah, there's a place where the waves are just breaking like... Under you know, the like cliffs half... there? Yeah, 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 yeah. And we pulled out this really strong pot and we smoked the joint right before we hit that part of the drive. And I didn't even know it was coming. And it's just like <laughs> that, that moment stayed with me forever, how impressive that was. Just the landscape kind of hit you there? Yeah, yeah. And he was zooming, you know. <laughs> and it just it felt like we could just go right off into the ocean at any moment. But it was exciting. I feel like a harmonica is a pretty portable instrument to carry around. <laughs> Do you have that in your pocket while you were going? Yeah, yeah. Would you meet <laughs> musicians along the way, jam with people, or was it just... Never people you wanted to play with. You'd always try, <laughs> but I was never lucky with that. Was it, I guess, more of a side-of-the-road type thing while waiting for cars? Well, you know, you'd always be playing, like, almost practicing, you know, like how you practice your instrument for a couple hours a day. I would play the harmonica all day long. You just take it out and play it. What was the dynamic when you were hitchhiking with somebody else? For me, at least, you always get kind of goofy. You go into some weird bits for, like, quite a while if you're, if you're waiting for a ride for a long time. I mean, I remember the time getting arrested with John Epstein when he had those pills and marijuana that I didn't even know he had. <laughs> And there was another time with Larry Preston and my brother Evan. We had to sleep on the side of the road when there was mosquitoes. But it wasn't like a whole bunch of antics or something that I really remember. It was a long time ago. I know you came to painting after music sort of went away to an extent. But were you also drawing anything at that point or sketching? Yeah, yeah. I was I was drawing all the time then. I always did. It was like practicing the harmonica. So you'd sit down and you'd paint something, draw something. But then it would just end up under the couch, you know. But like like while you were on the road, too, were you drawing stuff? No, probably not. I didn't have the forethought to bring a drawing pad, and if there was something in front of me, I would do it. What were you carrying? Did you have a backpack or like a over-the-shoulder bag or anything with you? Fuck if I remember. <laughs> well, for a while, I had, down the street from my mother in Worcester was this woman, Ann Malarski, who was in her bridge club. And she had this son who must have been gigantic i mean like six six 250 pounds and he had all these pants from the navy with malarsky written across the back those were my only pants i had like four pairs of those and i would use a rope as a belt because they were like 
you know, my waist was 28 and his was 44 or something. So I would tie them together and then roll up the bottom. So those were my pants, my Malarsky pants. <laughs> I mean, I probably had a backpack or a duffel bag. It wasn't like I had my stuff in shopping bags and I didn't <laughs> have a suitcase. So it must have been a duffel bag. How did your mom feel about both you and Evan taking off to go hitchhiking? I don't remember her ever complaining about it. As long as we didn't take her car when she was out of town, she was okay. <laughs> Which we did, you know. She went back to Wales to see her mother, and me and Evan were in the house. We were 15 and 16, and she said, don't drive the car. We said, no, of course not. And we found the keys, and we were driving and driving, and then we're going down some back road. I'm speeding down this road, this dusty road, and a rock jumps up from the road and hits the oil pan Ugh. and all the oil all the oil drained out so that the engine froze so now we're in the middle of nowhere and we walk to this farm so you know do you know anything about cars and these two guys in overalls get down underneath the car and say all your oil's gone you have a hole in the pan evan quoted this for you he said, you can put all the oil you want in there and it will just come right out onto the ground <laughs> So you were hitchhiking mostly towards the end of the 60s. Did you keep on into the 70s? Like, was there a point where you were like, no more of this for me? I can drive or take a train or whatever? I mean, you know, once I had my own apartment, I mean, once I was a citizen, I think I probably stopped. You know, you were kind of looking for places to go and you would hitchhike there. But once you kind of get, you start to have a life. You, you don't know, want to get torn from it. Do, it so. do you think there's any fundamental ways in which hitchhiking at that age changed you? Or, like, shaped your personality? I'm sure it did. I traveled. I met all these people, I'm sure. And it was kind of this open-ended, poetic way to approach life. Like, I left Worcester with 100 bucks in my pocket to hitchhike across the country, you know? I can't even imagine doing that. But I'm sure it shaped me. But isn't it dangerous to do now? I mean, I don't you don't th think it is. I don't think it's actually more dangerous than it was. I think that's a perception yeah. thing. But who knows? Like, I know yeah. there were a bunch of news stories in the 80s about hitchhiker killers or whatever. And maybe they were yeah. around earlier. Well, I think things get more exposed these days. All mm. the horrible stuff that happens, you, you know, you know about it from social media and the news. There's only two stations that have the news. You don't hear about the guy who got beaten up hitchhiking. Yeah. So when you went cross country, were you at that point thinking, I'm coming back to Worcester? Or were you like, if I find a spot... Maybe I'll stay. Uh, there was no plan. I mean, I hadn't thought it out. Okay. And it was just, I mean, when I got, I got to Berkeley and it was like, I think a year before it had all been happening there. And by the time I got there, it was burnt out. People were burnt out. Charles Manson changed stuff quite a bit. There was Altamont seemed to change mm -hmm. things and Manson. And it just kind of got like, huh, this isn't so, you know, because it was this drive towards utopia that then kind of went like, oh, wait a minute. And did you sort of feel that in yourself, too? Were you like, I, I have to live differently? It's sort of gradual. That wasn't like a decision. I mean, when I switched from harmonic to saxophone, saxophone is a valuable thing. You mm. can't be in this completely unprotected situation. You can't be hitchhiking and sleeping on somebody's floor. You just met, you've got this thing that's worth a couple thousand dollars. You, you've got to protect it, you know? And there were some awful times, you know? It's like you realize it's like, shit, we're here. And we're going to sleep on the side of this road. It gets pretty grim. But then a car comes along and you're like, oh, shit, I've met a really cool new person despite having slept in some mud. Yeah, but I mean, you know, cold, tired and hungry. That's the pretty much 
how you are most of the time. You never ended up wearing warm enough clothes. You were, <laughs> always, you were always cold. Yeah, best case scenario, you walk into like a Goodwill or Salvation Army or something and get yourself a nice like well, then, two dollar thing. I, I never did that. And the mosquitoes too. I just remember the mosquitoes twice, like just getting devoured. You get stuck somewhere, and then yeah. you sleep on the side of the road, and then it's like you're just flailing. I mean, you just don't sleep because you're you're flailing your arms around. Yeah, I accidentally fell asleep on a like an ant hill at some point. This was in oh. Scotland. That's fuckers. Do they, they, they have those fire ants like like in New Orleans? No, they're not like burning. They're just like you know, it kept tossing around and but not uh, not like a fire ant. More just like a I fucked up their ant colony. Those ones in New Orleans are nasty. I mean, and they have those stinging caterpillars too, which are really surreal bad. Yeah, I met a guy and it was on the border between Bosnia and Croatia, and he was like, "Yeah, when I went to Cuba, it was the the law there to pick up hitchhikers." Uh, that makes sense. It was kind of like that in the late 60s, early 70s. It's like you couldn't just leave somebody out there. Yeah, exactly. Wrong. Like a the community of humanity type of thing. You gotta yeah, yeah, be a yeah. good person on all sides. That's yeah. right. I just heard a bunch of birds fly up right outside my tent. I don't think I've ever heard wings that loud before. Wish I'd recorded it. Guess the rain scared them off. It was so sudden. 20 minutes ago, I walked into these woods and propped up my tent. The sky was stunning, maybe a little oversaturated. 10 minutes later, the dark clouds moved in. I wasn't sure if it was about to rain or if it was just getting late. It would have been a strange and beautiful sunset, if it had been a sunset. Now I'm in my tent, in the woods, with rain leaking through. It's not coming down in a steady stream, just enough to get everything wet. It's cold out. 